Well, hello, Podcast Meets Purpose listeners. This is our first recorded podcast of the new year, 2019. Uh, And since we are in a bit of a break in having guests here on campus, we thought that we would take this opportunity to share with all of you some of our favorite things uh, from 2018, specifically when it comes to podcasts, books, uh, and movies that we thought were both really interesting to read, but also kind of help with some of the core aspects of the Institute mission in terms of helping people to think more deeply and concretely about their own story of who they want to be in the world. So here we go. Hi, Allie. Hi, Tangy. Uh, so I feel like I need to set up at the very beginning that this is going to be the last conversation that Allie and I have like this, which is, for those of you listening, there is going to be crying that happens. We're not going to do it on the podcast because that would be uncomfortable for me to do and you to listen to. Um, but Allie, why don't you tell us where you are going and why this is the last time that we are going to be able to talk like this? Sure. Um, So I have to share the very bittersweet news uh, (laughs) that I will be leaving the Institute. And today is actually my last day in the office, Mm -hmm. going out with a bang with a final podcast. That's right. Um, But I will be accepting a new position to go and work at the University of Chicago um, with their Office of Career Advancement. And so I will be taking on a new role as their Assistant Director of Student Preparation um, and working with student advising, um, particularly for first-generation college students, um, working on some new program initiatives um, with a focus on kind of second-year programming and some new ideas around that, Um, and, you know, continuing on in helping college students really think about where they're going long-term and how these different pieces of what you're learning and experiencing connect up for you um, after you graduate and through experiences during your time at college. Well, I've been joking for the last month or so that I required Allie to download her brain prior to leaving. <laughs> uh, and so this lab podca- last podcast is really kind of a download of some of the stuff that I enjoy talking most about, um, which is the ways in which the things that we listen and read and see kind of inflect kind of how we think about our work and how we want students to be thinking about their own work and their story. So uh, in the spirit of a full download, um, <laughs> let's Let's get started. And I think the best place to start is podcasts. Naturally, because that's what we're doing right now. (laughs) So what are some of the things that you've been listening to that you have really enjoyed? Well, thankfully, uh, I've been working with the queen of finding good podcasts. <laughs> so some of these things we've been listening to in common at your recommendation. Mm. Um, and so I think one of the ones we might want to start with is thinking about a podcast called Future Perfect, mm-hmm. um, which is put out by Vox Media. It's hosted by Dylan Matthews. Um, and I think what I really enjoy about um, Future Perfect is that it's thinking about you know, solutions to really big problems yeah. and and how can effective altruism um, and particular kind of thought experiment or approach to philanthropy, how can mm-hmm. that be applied to solving these really big problems in the world? Yeah. I mean, this podcast is so good that literally in the introductory episode, I was about to go donate a kidney, <laughs> like after listening uh, to episode one. And I think that the way in which Dylan Matthews kind of lays out each story, and they're very short, they're about... 
20 minutes, so you're not giving like a ton of time, but they're extremely well edited and well produced. So you're really kind of getting the core of what the problem is. And then these really kind of creative, interesting, um, not kind of like the most obvious answer as to how mm -hmm. we do something better or differently, um, but really kind of getting at this effective altruism bent and how can we do the most good, mm -hmm. um, which oftentimes I think isn't the most, uh, com like it's not the thing that you would think of first. Right, exactly. And I think sometimes when we're talking about approaches to problems, sometimes it's dealing with like symptoms or how can we improve things. But these mm -hmm. are really the issues that he's exploring in the podcast are like solutions, yep. like, you know, and really kind of big, large scale things, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's talking about kind of the different like the cycle of web connections of kidney donations or the volcanic ash cloud that could address major parts of climate change. We could fix climate change by basically just covering the earth in ash. Like, guys, you need to go listen to this podcast. Exactly. And then it kind of ends on a really interesting um, season finale of, like, thinking about kind of a meta how to choose a career in terms of, you know, effective altruism. You know, is it better that I choose a career that, you know, works on a particular issue or should I work in a career that's very um, lucrative and earns a lot of money that then you can give to these big issues, um, which is a really kind of cool way to wrap up their first season. Um, but I think he makes a really compelling case and he does explore some of the pushback that you might get on some of these solutions. Mm -hmm. um, there's a really um, effective case made for how we kill fish, which is not something I expected <laughs> to learn about and is a little bit gross with the sound effects sometimes. But, but very good. Very good. But very good. Um, I think what it comes down to is that if you are going to pick an episode of Future Perfect to listen to, um, other than than the kidney episode, which is the first one, which really kind of sets the tone and explains effective altruism. Um, the episode that Allie was referencing is the season finale called How to Pick a Career That Counts. Um, it is probably most in step with the type of conversation that we want to be having at the Institute. And so highly recommend How to Pick a Career That Counts future perfect. Um, another podcast that we listen to in common uh, is called Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. And I'm telling you, whether you are a guy or a gal or identify as neither, this is the type of podcast that will help you be a better ally, even if it's not necessarily an issue that you yourself are facing. Um, and I think in some ways, similar to Future Perfect, it doesn't just focus on the problems. It's not like a complainy podcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's really focused on solutions. It's focused on how to be creative and intentional about developing things in yourself and creating the type of workplace where you can really thrive. <laughs> And I think it's also really helpful to have some of those things that you might have experienced in small or big ways affirmed that mm -hmm. this is a real thing, that this mm -hmm. is something that um, many people experience in the workplace, whether it's you experiencing it or seeing it happen to other people, and they talk about it in a really nuanced way. So it's affirming, mm -hmm. um, but also being kind of productive in that conversation, and they bring in all sorts of experts mm -hmm. who can really talk about the the data behind it or their own kind of personal experience with this, but then they also give you battle tactics about what to do <laughs> if it happens. Well, and I think that's the thing, is seeing these things that you might have thought, am I crazy? And see them not only rooted in other people's experience, but also research, and then feeling like you don't just have to sit with it, but that there are things that you can do. And this is why I think 
for the ally piece and the reason that I think even um, men can get a lot out of it is that I think it also calls attention to some of the things that you might not realize Mm -hmm. that you're doing, whether it's the way that we kind of uh, share or don't share um, work in the workplace that isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. like part of your job description. So, you know, who's cleaning up the dishes in the kitchen? Um, And that's something that we can all benefit from hearing what they talk about in that episode. Or there's a whole episode on manterrupting. which I think, like, it's not even necessarily, like, men interrupting women, but I think how we interrupt one another and how mm-hmm. we all are in conversations with one another mm-hmm. um, and how we can work together to kind of boost voices that are often marginalized in these kind of conference room conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though, don't let the title scare you, battle tactics for your sexist workplace, um, whoever you are, you can really get a lot out of listening to that particular podcast. All right, Allie, so other than the things that we have in common, what are some of the things that you're listening to that I have not gone deep on just yet? Excellent. Well, I have two that I would say skew towards our reflective side of institute work. Um, And the first one is called The Slowdown uh, with Tracy K. Smith, who is the U.S. Poet Laureate. And so this is a podcast that's provided um, between a partnership with the Library of Congress and the Poetry Foundation. And these are like five to 10 minute short podcasts um, that come out like every couple of days Mm -hmm. or so. Um, And really like, it's like a an opportunity to really slow down, like the title. Um, They're not kidding. They're not kidding. Um, And it's Tracy K. Smith kind of, you know, offering thoughts that are related to a poem then that she eventually reads um, and kind of talking about different ways of, you know, seeing the world, about relationships, about family, um, you know, all sorts of things, um, you know, related to our lives together. And then reads a poem that some of them are from, you know, current poets who are still around. Some of them are from poets from the 1600s. Um, and so it's just this really nice little break mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of getting out of your current, whatever you're thinking about on your drive home, um, but to engage with kind of different, you know, poems and things that really make you think. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've listened to quite a few of them um, and have been surprised at some of them. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. And I'm going to start it over, <laughs> listen to it again. But it's just interesting the things that it can kind of make you think about and be a little bit more reflective, even just like a five minute um, mm-hmm. little moment. And so one of my favorites um, is episode 13, What the Memory Said. Um, which is a really kind of lovely poem, um, and she kind of connects it in with some different, um, like, personal stories about her own memory and how she had viewed something versus uh, someone else's take on that experience. Um, There's another one that is episode 17, um, Woman on Cell Phone Dragging an Empty Cart. Uh, They're, you know, it's the titles of the poems, um, but the variety of things that she's reading and thinking about um, is just really profound and very compelling. So I would very much recommend The Slowdown with Tracy K. Smith. Well, it seems like especially if you're somebody who has always been a little like embarrassed about the fact that you don't read poetry, but like you don't know where to start. It feels like this is a really accessible entry point for the non-poets. Yes, definitely. 
How about you? What are some other things that you've been listening to that I haven't gotten into yet? Yes. Well, so I have, as much as I try desperately to, like, break myself away from political podcasts, <laughs> um, one of the things that I have really loved, because there is some politics, but there's actually, like, a wide, um, a much wider array of guests that he has on, is the Ezra Klein show um, with Ezra Klein. And one of the things that I love about this um, is that prior to being at the Institute, um, my first job was really as a reporter, as a journalist. Um, and so I've always had a lot of respect for the way that reporters frame conversation. They tend to be really good listeners um, and asking good questions. And so I think that Ezra really brings a reporter's ear to podcasting. Um, and so he is extraordinar extraordinarily good at both being prepared, um, having really engaged with the work of whoever is on, and then asking really great questions. Um, and one of the things that came up, one of the recent episodes, he was interviewing Hassan Minaj about his new show um, on Netflix, The Patriot Act. Um, the Patriot Act. And one of the things that they were talking about is um, this kind of debate mentality. That on Twitter in particular, it's like, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so should debate. Um, and part of what Ezra kind of was saying in response to Hassan, who was like, oh, I love the way that you kind of take on this particular person on Twitter. And Ezra's like, I'm actually trying really hard not to do that. Because oftentimes when we're thinking about a debate, we're thinking about our person and the other person, and somebody's going to win. And we really want our person to win. And part of what he is trying really hard to do in the podcast is actually like come to a conversation with the willingness to be convinced otherwise. And part of how he does that is even when it's somebody who he really disagrees with, he's extraordinarily well prepared. He's read their side. And so part of how he starts these conversations is, here's what I think I hear you saying. And then the person's able to push back on that. And so it actually leads to a much deeper kind of conversation that you would ever find on a debate stage where it's not about declaring any one person the winner, but where like the end goal is like a deeper understanding of whether it's somebody's work, somebody's perspective. Um, and he's done this with, you know, other reporters, with politicians, um, economists, historians. Um, he had this great podcast with N.K. Jemison, who's won a number of awards. Um, she writes sci-fi books, um, but about world building and kind of how she thinks about kind of creating these worlds and what you have to do in order um, to do that effectively. And so it's just one of those things where it both introduces me to people that I hadn't heard of before. He doesn't focus exclusively on celebrities, but I think it also is a really good practice of learning how to cultivate being a good listener and a good question asker, um, which are things that are really important to me. And at the end of every interview, he asks somebody, what are three books that you would recommend um, that have kind of shaped you. And I also find that really helpful. The, there are a number of things on my bookshelf right now that came from recommendations of people that he had interviewed. So I just love that because it kind of speaks to my reporter's heart, um, but also this thing that I think increasingly, increasingly we don't do well as a society, which is like listen to one another and listen to one another with an openness towards having um, mm. our own perspective change. And I think he mm. models that really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another podcast that I was going to mention, um, which kind of makes me think about the sort of meta effects of podcasts of like, mm -hmm. there's the topic of what they're talking about, but then also what they're modeling in mm -hmm. like the conversations mm -hmm. with the hosts or who they're interviewing, that sort of thing. Um, and so the podcast I'm going to talk about is called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, because I am a lifelong Harry Potter fan and anything that can kind of focus on those books um, that kind of talk about larger questions, I'm here for it. Yep. Um, so this podcast uh, is hosted by two Harvard Divinity School grads, um, one of which, Vanessa Zoltan, she was 
um, had done a thesis about thinking about applying sacred reading practices to secular texts. So she had initially done it with Jane Eyre, um, and then her and the other host, Casper Terkyle, decided to kind of apply these different practices to the Harry Potter series and thinking about Harry Potter books as this book series that people go back to. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that sometimes when people are upset or, you know, having a hard time or just, you know, want to experience that again, then it's like, all right, I'm going to read the series again. That it's kind of this yeah. sort of text or common text that many, many people in our society read. Um, so they have gone through now, I think they're on the fourth or fifth book. I'm a little bit behind. Um, but they've go through chapter by chapter um, and have kind of created this practice around reading each chapter through a particular lens of like a, a specific theme. Um, and then they kind of read through the, they give you a summary and then read through, talk about um, where are parts where they saw that theme kind of coming up. Um, and then they also do a particular like sacred reading practice, which they've pulled from different sort of, you know, religious traditions. Um, they do Lectio Divina, which is a Christian practice. Mm -hmm. There's a um, practice called Pardes, which is from Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of these close reading texts of what else can you find in these chapters that, you know, you may know really well and know these stories, but then looking at them in a different light. Right. Um, so I think one of the things that they model really well in having their conversations um, is the ability to talk about differences of interpretation um, and that they may, you know, be doing a close read of a line and, you know, one of them is seeing it one particular way and they're like, well, I didn't read it that way at all and kind of getting to the kind of deeper meaning in between that conversation. And I think that's something that's really healthy and is sometimes mm -hmm. lost that there's the desire to be right and that you know <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about not at all um but that really there's a lot of deeper meaning that can be found between those conversations mm -hmm. um and that they do that really beautifully and they're also really good friends so it's like really fun to hear them talking with one another um about these different themes and things that you might not you know think about um and talking about like oh, I never thought about looking at that chapter through fear or identity or white privilege. Like, there's right. a lot of different things that they go through. Right. Um, so I would highly recommend Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. It is pretty helpful if you have read the books beforehand in order to understand what they're talking about. Um, but starting with book one, I would definitely recommend it. Excellent. Well, it's funny that the last podcast that you would talk mm -hmm. about is one that is kind of like rooted in books in particular, because uh, I think the next thing I'd love for us to talk a little bit about are books that we've been reading, books that we would recommend. Um, Allie is well aware of the fact that I set high reading goals for myself. Um, I have always been a bit of a book nerd. Uh, fun fact for podcast listeners, uh, my wedding was book themed, um, which I think speaks deeply to my heart. Uh, and so, yes. And so I have used my Instagram account to basically catalog the books that I'm reading and the books that I want to read. Um, so getting to talk about this on the podcast is very, very fun for me. But um there are a few things that I've read, and especially kind of like the back half of the year, that I think are really interesting. And so to kind of start, a couple of the things that we talk about a lot here at the Institute, um, one is thinking about giving and serving and how we do that well. Um, another one is thinking about purpose. Um, on the giving and serving front, I would highly recommend Anand Gerharadis' Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Um, 
one of the things that I loved, I had heard several different interviews with Anand prior to picking up the book about what he was writing about. Um, and it was really amazing to actually get into the book itself and not have it feel like it was just a repeat of interviews that he had already given, but actually kind of going deeper on some of the core concepts. Um, and basically his kind of central theme is the fact that a lot of the people that we are looking to to help kind of solve the world's problems, whether that's climate change or poverty or homelessness or food security issues, that in a lot of these different spaces, we are looking towards philanthropists, we're looking to corporate donors, we're looking to people who have made a lot to give some to help address these issues. And part of what he's getting at in the book is the fact that oftentimes the people who have the most to give got that by taking more than they should mm -hmm. have. And so part of what he is getting at is the fact that no amount of generosity actually makes up for the lack of justice. Mm -hmm. um, and that we would require less generosity from individuals and corporations if they were basically kind of giving their fair share when that comes to being rooted in a community, paying taxes, like that kind of thing. Um, but what is really cool about the book is that he grounds kind of each aspect of his argument in a real person's story. Um, so if you are, let's say, a student or a recent grad and you don't have a ton of time to spend on books that are uh, not for class, I would highly recommend um, even just the first chapter of the book that's called But How Has the World Changed? where it tracks um, a woman who she had been at Georgetown, she'd been a philosophy major, um, but she ends up kind of doing corporate consulting, um, thinking that this is going to help her be more effective in nonprofit spaces and kind of how she deals with the dissonance of what she was promised and what she values versus what she ended up doing versus what she's now doing. And so it's just a really um, kind of rooted in one woman's story that I think will resonate with what I hear a lot of are especially like kind of juniors and seniors talking about that like, well, this is the kind of thing I want to be doing, but maybe I should do this first. And so that one chapter alone, I think will really help kind of ground you in thinking about um, whether it makes more sense to make more so that you can give more versus um, living a life that's oriented towards justice. Mm -hmm. So moving away from generosity and thinking about justice. Mm -hmm. um, but on the purpose side, and you know, it's the only fiction book that I'll mention, uh, I had to read A Gentleman in Moscow for a book club that I'm a part of. Uh, and the blurb that had sold several of the women in the group about this book in particular was that it was like a celebration of civility. Um, <laughs> which was not exactly what was drawing me to the book, but I was up for it. Uh, and one of the things that I really came to appreciate is that the book kind of follows this one central character who um, you know, was basically somebody with a title and property and land kind of at this one moment in Russian history and that as the revolution is happening, um, you know, he gets his land taken from him and then he's living in the suite at a hotel and then he ends up being under house arrest for this kind of inflammatory poem that he had written. Um, uh, and then, so he moves from his suite to this little room in this attic, uh, and then a lot of other things happen, but part of what I loved about this book is that he goes from somebody who has a lot of resources and power and social capital, and that over the course of the book, that gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until, you know, not only is he living in this like little room in the attic, but he's sharing it with this, um, this girl that he's ended up having to raise for a friend, but that as his life has gotten smaller and smaller, his relationships have gotten deeper and deeper. And as you stripped away the titles and the power and all these other things, 
that the people who were once servants to him Mm -hmm. actually become his community and become his friends and become the people who help him escape. Uh, And so I think that as we are all thinking about our purpose and kind of what we want to be doing in the world, that it's a really beautiful meditation on the fact that sometimes it's not the power and the things, but it's the people and that sometimes our lives need to be a little bit smaller for us to recognize the people and how valuable they are in it. Um, And so the book's a little choppy. It's a little slow parts, but if you're willing to kind of get through, um, it's just a really beautiful reflection on, um, on kind of how we think and frame our lives and what matters in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I've talked a lot. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I love is also shorter things. Um, and so I'm reading this book of essays by Rebecca Solnit called Call Them By Their True Names. And I won't get into a lot of it, but there is this part where she is talking about um, kind of why this book is important. Um, and she's talking about stories in particular and kind of why we need to like tell these stories. And so um, I'm going to read one little bit of it here where she says. The key, the key to the work of changing the world is changing the story, the names, and inventing or popularizing new names and terms and phrases. And she talks a lot kind of in the foreword about kind of needing to call things by their true names and how the ways that we name things change the way that we think about stories and storytelling and the voices that are heard in those. And so to that end, I would highly recommend the entire book of essays, but I want to use that as a way of teeing up the fact that I think one of the best things we can do in terms of thinking about our own stories is read other people's stories. And so memoirs are a great way to do that. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going to stop talking for a second (laughs) and Allie's going to (laughs) talk. No, I totally agree. And I think um, that this sort of theme comes up in our work in a lot of different ways that we talk about this with the speakers that we're bringing of hearing other people's narratives of you know, having kind of one-on-one conversations of understanding your own story and kind of talking that through, of talking with mentors, mm-hmm. you know, that that's all come around in, in different ways and what we do here. Um, and I think that comes through in books and in memoirs too. And so being able to read other people's stories and and really understanding that, you know, these things aren't always a straight line and, and reading about other people's processes of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were talking a lot about kind of learning from, you know, communities and different relationships with um, a gentleman in Moscow. And um, one of the books that I read this year um, was called Assimilate or Go Home, Notes from a Failed Missionary on Rediscovering Faith by D.L. Mayfield. And um, I just loved this book so deeply um, just because I think she was really honest and open about things that, you know, she had her worldview deeply changed, um, that she had kind of gone into this, you know, community of refugees um, expecting to bring so much to them from Mm -hmm. her experience and her knowledge and her faith um, and was ready to serve, you know, the other, serve those Mm -hmm. people because they need her. Um, And I think what she experienced was really the reverse. and that she, you know, that she refers to them as her neighbors, that she learned so much then from her neighbors that really changed her worldview and made her rethink a lot of what she had approached. And I think that's 
a hard thing and to mm-hmm. kind of write about, you know, kind of shedding previous paradigms that you were fully convinced of and then having, you know, that all kind of rocked by real relationship and community um, and, and kind of learning from that experience and, and taking a, a hard look um, at things that maybe your eyes weren't open to because of certain, you know, privilege or experiences that you've had and being open to learning from those near experiences, um, I think is a really interesting journey to be able to take with her through this book um, and kind of learning with her together. Um, And just she writes so beautifully um, about these kind of relationships and the community that she's learned from and then kind of thinking through her own theology and kind of where that has changed from those experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of community and how, you know, that really helps you learn. Um, and even learning really hard lessons. So I was really appreciative of being able to read kind of her experience and and learning from those. Um, I feel like one of the memoirs I read this year that I just really loved uh, was this book, Educated, by Tara Westover. Um, And she grew up in a survivalist family in Idaho um, with very little access to proper formal education. There's a part Mm -hmm. early in the book where her grandma, like, wants her to, like, sneak out with them, basically. That they're they're moving, they're going to get out, and she wants her to come with them so that they can, like, you know, get her educated and give her a life. And she chooses to stay with her father and mother and her brothers and really kind of, you know, is dedicated to her her nuclear family. Um, and there are a lot of things that that costs her as a young woman, Um But there is, not to give, like, the whole book away, but one of her brothers basically manages to kind of, like, open his world in a way that makes her feel like that's something that's accessible to her. Um, And through a series of events, she ends up being able to go to Brigham Young Young University, uh, which is, like, not, I mean, to say that it's a culture shock is, like, an understatement. Mm. Um, That everything from, you know, bathing properly, let alone being able to function in a classroom, um, hearing history that she'd never heard before, heard, like, radically different versions of that history. Mm and her family um and as her world is opening she has these deep ties still to this very toxic family who she loves Mm. um and that even as they are emotionally abusive she feels connected to them um and she ends up being able to uh to go to oxford university in england and she's she's actually like kind of accumulating all of these like accolades and it's this really kind of powerful story of like figuring out like who she is um Mm. that as she's learning more um what that does to her relationship with her family. And so this idea of like education, both as world expanding, but also the ways that as our world expands, how our relationship to the places we come from change. Mm. Um, and so it's a really hard book, but it's really beautiful. Um, we have not named a ton of authors of color, but I would highly recommend friends, Jasmine Ward, who writes a lot of fiction, but she's amazing. Um, if you are looking at memoir and fiction or memoir uh, and nonfiction, Ta-Nehisi Coates, you will be better for reading him. Um, there are a number of books out by incredible black women this year. Um, Austin Channing Brown had a book um, called I'm Still Here, which is definitely worth reading. Um, if you are wondering where to start um, with reading books by people of color that you're not quite sure. Um, The National Book Association has a great end of year list which features a lot of writers of color, not just for nonfiction, but fiction, poetry, young adult books. Um, So that's definitely worth looking at. Um, So, okay, we've talked about 
podcasts, we've talked about books, we've talked about memoirs in particular, but I think one of the things that we enjoy talking about most is movies, uh, and that there is a lot to appreciate in kind of the more pop side of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Allie, let's get into movies. What have you watched that you want us to talk about today? Mm. I think the uh, first one that I want to talk about is a movie that is still in theaters currently um, and is not a movie that I think I would have expected to see, um, even as a fan of comic books and such things. Mm -hmm. Um, But Into the Spider-Verse is one of the most incredible movies I've seen this year. And mm-hmm. I was just blown away. And I'm so glad that you suggested <laughs> that I go watch it. Um, and just was a really compelling story about kind of finding your way. Um, and the main character, Miles Morales, um, who is one of the you know different iterations of Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, in kind of the comics universe. And so he's a young man who, you know, gets bitten by a radioactive spider, as they mm-hmm. often do. Um, and as then, is prone to happen <laughs> on the streets of New York. And then kind of finds himself in this sort of cosmic situation where there are all different iterations of a Spider-Man who are kind of thrown together into the same It's dimension. a multiverse situation, a multiverse. friends. That's what it is. Um, but, you know, through this kind of really extraordinary scenario, which is very funny and also incredibly beautiful mm-hmm. um, in terms of animation and stuff, it really gets at um, this kind of compelling story of finding your way and also, like, figuring out imposter syndrome. Um, And so do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what you took from that? Yeah. I mean, I think this idea of, like, imposter syndrome or having an imposter complex, that, like, this is something that I think, you know, it's not so much a student problem. I think, like, students kind of graduate feeling like they could change the world, and that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then you get into your first job, and maybe things start to go well, and then you're like, oh, crap. Like, I, I'm being given a lot of responsibility, and uh, are you sure? Me? Me? I don't I'm, actually I know don't, what I'm doing. Mm, uh, and so part of what ends up happening, and I think it's not even so much when you're new, but especially when there are people in your field, whether it's in your business or in your discipline or what have you, where there are people you really respect um, and people who you just think are amazing, and you're like, well, I'm not them. And so it begins to kind of, like, cloud your own judgment about what you're capable of because, well, you know, I could never do it the way that they do it. Um, Or, like, they just have so much experience, I'm never going to be that person. And I think part of what Into the Spider-Verse does so well is that because Miles is engaging with all of these different versions of Spider-Man, so not just Peter Parker, um, but Spider-Gwen and Penny Parker, um, you know, like, that all of these different people who are so good at being Spider-Man in their iteration um and there's this moment where like they need him to do something like on demand and he like can't do it and part of what you realize as the story unfolds is it's not that he couldn't do it because he wasn't good enough it's because he had not fully embraced himself as a version of spider-man and that it's when he does it on his terms and his way and he's not just trying to be another peter parker but he's being miles morales that he is able to save all of them. And I think like this is so important. I think for young people in particular is that it's great to have mentors and it's great to have people that you look to who inspire you, but that you are never going to get where you need to be if you're trying to be a replica of somebody else. That you have to have people who inspire you, but then you also have to figure out what makes you a valuable person in this particular field or story or journey. And I think that that's something that this movie just sets up beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mm-hmm. That there are lots of right ways to be Spider-Man. Um, and it seems silly, but I think that there is like this empowerment narrative that is actually like so important as people are trying to figure out their work and their place in the world that sometimes the most important work you can do is not shadowing another person, but figuring out why that's work you want to be doing in the first place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And not you know, trying to be like a carbon copy of someone else that you admire or that you may have similar, you know, experiences or want to do a similar kind of work, um, but that you are bringing your full self to that. Um, And that can, you know, look a lot of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like thinking creatively about what that might look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, Miles Morales models his own version of that. um, And that I think like, but one of my favorite parts of the movie without spoiling too much um, that it, it's even shown in like the costumes throughout mm-hmm. the movie um, that he has kind of one thing that he wears for half of the movie which is kind of your typical yep. you know Spider-Man costume literally like from a Halloween store yeah. and that throughout the movie then he kind of comes into his own and like is fully Spider-Man and also fully Miles Morales yeah. um, and so I think it's just a really kind of beautiful, unexpected narrative in that way, um, and that we can take a lot from that and thinking about our own kind of value and, you know, what we envision for ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this theme of, like, kind of figuring out who you are and what you bring to the work is also something that resonated in one of the other movies that I know that we've talked about. Which is uh, Dumplin' on Netflix. A surprise. A surprise. Again, not a movie I expected to watch. Thank goodness I have good people in my life who can tell me things that I need to be consuming Mm -hmm. in media. Um, But yeah, so there is this um, quote that is kind of woven throughout that movie um, that is, find out who you are and do it on purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just so beautiful. And that it's not only understanding yourself and who you are and you know what you're bringing to the world but then actively like living into that and Mm -hmm. and being that fully um and i think that is shown really beautifully through um the main character of dumplin Mm -hmm. who you know willow willow dean yeah that she is this really like snarky fun um, you know, hilarious and kind of joyful character um, with a deep love for Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Dolly Parton music there in there. Um, but who, you know, has this hesitation from comparing herself to her mother. It's like a beauty queen. And, mm-hmm. and her friends um, and kind of what society thinks she should be. Right. Um, but, you know, comes into her own kind of quirky self yeah. and in a lot of really cool ways. Um, and I think that's just it's so true yeah true yeah well friends we've given you a lot to think about uh we will have a full list of all the things that we have recommended on the institute website at valpo.edu forward slash lead serve uh but i just want to thank all of you with listening or who have been listening to us in 2018 there's a lot of good things to come in 2019 and a big thank you to my first and favorite co-host Allie. good luck (laughs) at the University of Chicago. Do not be a stranger. Um, And friends, have a great start to the new year. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, And it's been wonderful to get to talk about all these different themes and speakers and our favorite podcast together. Um, So thank you all very much. All right.